1: Welcome to episode 75 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Well, today we're going to delve into a subject that I feel like a lot of people will appreciate. I get quite a few emails from listeners, and a lot of those mention their struggles with guilt. So I thought an entire episode just focused on guilt and how to kind of handle that, even when it's not really rational or reasonable to feel this guilt, we end up feeling it anyway. I know that even as a mom before I lost Andy, there would be the idea of having mom guilt, that you feel guilty about many, many things. So I think in this, you have mom guilt, you have dad guilt, you have survivor guilt, you have what could I have done guilt maybe things that could have been different guilt. So it ends up just in some ways taking over a lot of what's going on in your life when you are dealing with grief. So today I asked Gwen to really talk about guilt and how it affects our grieving process. So I know you will enjoy this conversation with Gwen. I also wanted to make a little plug. So up until this point, I have done all the my own editing for the show, and my husband Eric has talked me into trying out and seeing what it would be like to have someone edit for me. But of course, that costs money, and I have never asked for donations and it's really just been a labor of love for me, and it's still I still want it to be that way, but I also don't want it to be financially draining. So here is a way that you could support Always Andy's Mom and have it not really affect your pocketbook at all. If you do shopping on Amazon, which many of us do, especially now during this pandemic, if you type in smile.amazon.com instead of just amazon.com, It will get you to normal Amazon and you can do your normal shopping. But if you pick a charity, it will donate a small percentage, which I don't even know what the percentage is, of the sale to a charity of your choice. And Always Andy's Mom is a charity that you can pick through smile.amazon.com. So if you all could do that and spread the word a little bit, that would be helpful and it would bring in a little more money and I might feel a little less guilty about hiring someone to do my editing for me. I hope that this will allow me to do have a little more time to do some more writing and some other projects that I have sort of put on the back burner because of the time that the podcast is taking. So anyway, I appreciate all of my listeners. I appreciate all of you. Be sure to contact me if you want to be on the show, if you have show ideas, always feel free to reach out. Again, I love, love, love hearing everyone's stories. That is what gives me joy in this whole process. So today I want you to enjoy Gwen and learn from Gwen just as I always do each time I talk to her. I'd like to welcome Gwen back to the show today. Gwen, it's been about three months since you've been on. I don't want to go that long again because I love the episodes with you and my listeners love them too. So welcome back.
2: Good. Thank you. I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah,
1: it was November and we're in February already. So Mm. we're going to start out with kind of a new little thing. So... I had my Messages from Heaven episode on Christmas Eve, and if you all listened to that, you remember me saying somewhere in the middle that I had an amazing butterfly story that I absolutely could not find, and it was driving me crazy, and I asked for someone to kind of resend it, to figure out what happened, and believe it or not, just a few days ago, I found it. I found it archived away in an email. I have no idea how I couldn't have found it before, but I did not. But it turns out, I think maybe it's a little bit of a blessing because I started thinking about how I could share this story. And I thought about your episodes, Gwen, mm-hmm. and about how the very first time I did these messages from heaven, it was you and I doing them together. Mm-hmm. At Christmas, not this past year, but the year before. And how fun that was for you and I to talk about those yeah. stories. And I thought, I think it will be kind of a cool way for us to start our episodes together and sharing some of these stories because people send them to me periodically, just cool stories Uh that have happened to them. And I always feel like I wish I could share it, but I don't want to take away from anyone else's story. So I don't want to use that time. But I feel like I can use some time with you and then we can talk about them a little bit.
2: Absolutely. And I love people's stories. That's my favorite. I
1: know. I know. So I think this will be perfect. (laughs) So I'm going to start out by reading this email. Okay. Okay. So this email is from Jennifer. Jennifer is Garrett's mom and Garrett actually died Last year, in 2020, on August 18th, so just a few days after my anniversary date, Garrett was 21 years old when he died. And she says earlier in the email that the podcast has been medicine for her soul, which makes me so happy to hear that. So she sent this email and this story. Garrett had been struggling for quite some time with mental health issues. We had also been struggling as parents, trying to help him and know what was best for him. This last summer was particularly rough, and a friend of mine sent me a bouquet of flowers just to let me know she was thinking of me and praying for us all. There was a beautiful little butterfly stuck in the arrangement, which I pulled out and saved after all the flowers dried up. One evening, a couple of months later, my husband and I were out at our farm doing some work, and we noticed a large field covered in clusters of beautiful butterflies, thousands of them. We had never seen anything like it before and watched them in awe. We came home that evening, and Garrett was in our kitchen. He told us he loved us and was going to bed early because he had to go to work in the morning. The next morning, I went down to wake him, and he had gone to heaven. The next day, another friend brought me a lantern with a butterfly on it that perfectly matched the one in the floral arrangement. I hadn't mentioned the butterflies to anyone, so my husband and I really felt like they were little messages from heaven. Garrett was a runner and was quite competitive. He always wanted to challenge his sisters in a race, which he would always win. A couple of weeks after his death, my daughter and her husband were out for a run and a big, beautiful butterfly flew around and just in front of them for a good part of the way. They were sure it was a sign of him from God, especially since he stayed with them, but just in front, not letting them pass him. I was at the cemetery one evening when another butterfly flew up and landed on his grave. It sat there for a while and then flew off into the sunset. I looked all over for another one but that was the only one I saw there. These moments have all been comforting for our family, and I wholeheartedly believe that God sends us messages of hope and reminds us that our loved ones are in his care. Sometimes they are obvious, and sometimes we have to be still and look for them, but they are definitely there. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful. I love Mm -hmm. that.
2: And I love the parts of the story that it's just so clear and humorous and like their life, how the butterfly stayed just ahead yeah, of them. Yeah, I know. You know like, and, and you go, yes, that's definitely him. I, I love that part. Yeah, I know. I thought that was really fun too.
1: And just the fact that, that very night that he died to see those thousands of butterflies like that in such an amazing way. It was almost like Mm -hmm. God gave them a little clue saying, I'm going to show you Mm -hmm. thousands of butterflies today Mm -hmm. so that in the future you will associate that the butterfly back. Right. So you're really going to think about this butterfly Mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm just like pounding you over the head with it. I mean, those are kind of the fun ones, right?
2: Right. Really obvious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Super obvious.
1: So anyway, Mm -hmm. again, sorry to Jennifer for not sharing that beautiful story, but I uh, did want to make sure to do it for sure.
2: Well, since you talked to the audience about this being part of our time together, sharing those, I just wrote myself a note because I had a mom write a beautiful story about her son once. So I just wrote down to remember to share that sometime. Okay,
1: we're going to get it. Maybe our April one. Mm -hmm. Yep. Sounds good. Okay. So today our topic is going to be about guilt because I have had so many people reach out recently just with just overwhelming feelings of guilt. It started with the New Year's Eve episode, which I did what I wish I would have known. And what the episode Mm. was supposed to be really about is things I wish I knew about grief when I started so that I wouldn't have been so caught off guard, right? I remember thinking to myself, I did not realize how much fear I would have. Like that was a big one mm-hmm. that was surprising to me, how much fear I had. Mm-hmm. But what a lot of people ended up reaching out for me is I wish I knew how bad things were. I wish I knew that things were like this. I wish I would have done differently. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff. That it was really mm-hmm. just guilt, guilt, mm-hmm. guilt. Mm-hmm. So I Absolutely. Anyway, I thought, I think we should touch on that a little bit more because that really does strike a chord. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And it can go very deep. I I wanted to start knowing that we were going to talk about this with the article um, from an excerpt from an article years ago in Bereavement Magazine. And I won't read the whole thing to you, but I just highlighted some things. But it was a story of a a woman whose nine-year-old daughter died suddenly from an unexplained brain seizure. Um, She said, over the years, I came to realize that guilt and anger were key emotions behind the pain that was searing my soul. She said, like so many bereaved parents, I felt guilty for not being able to keep my daughter alive somehow. I believed that I failed in my duty as a mother. I was guilty of not being diligent enough. She said, then she finally concluded after a long process of counseling and spiritual exploration, she said, I finally concluded my guilt was misconstrued. I did not have the power to keep anyone else alive, not even my beloved daughter. Sometimes it's easier to live with guilt than to feel powerless. Wow. Isn't that
1: interesting? That is so powerful. I had not thought about that before.
2: Because it's so out of your control. Yeah. And the other part is that we often judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge others by their behaviors. So our intention as parents, when we're giving these precious children, is we're going to do whatever we can to protect them. Mm-hmm. Like on my watch, nothing's happening. Right. you know. And I even remember as a, when our kids were young, having this fear that what if something happened to them when they were with me and not with my husband? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm yeah. sure a lot of people yeah. really like that guilt of it was my watch and this happened kind of thing. So our intentions are that nothing's bad's ever going to happen to
1: them. Yeah, I feel that for so, sure. As a pediatrician too, you really have mm. this feeling that I have to protect them in so many ways. Right. I also have to like nothing bad health wise can happen to them because I should have picked it up. And so I feel like I have even another level sometimes just because of oh. that, because of my training should keep them Absolutely. safe. So in no way did I think that Andy could die mm-hmm. on my watch
2: In no way. Right. Mm-hmm. So her comment about the powerlessness, Mm-hmm you know, that she felt um, that it was easier to live with the guilt than to realize that she didn't have any power or control over that. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what happens to false guilt. So there's, you know, truly things to feel guilty about if we make a decision that, you know, I think the one that I I fall back to just because there's a a cause and effect of if you're driving drunk and someone dies, you've done something, you know. That's
1: the exact example I thought of in my mind too, right? If you.
2: Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a causation, you know, I caused this kind of thing, but oftentimes we hold ourselves in that accountability that we should have known. We, Like you mentioned, even in your field of experience, like I should have caught that, you know, yeah. those kinds of things. So we hold ourselves to this pressure mm-hmm. that it's in our control yeah. and that we, we should have been able to do something about and, it.
1: And I feel that way for Eric, for sure, at the car accident scene, right? I mean, he mm-hmm. he was the one to work on intubating mm-hmm. Andy to give him mm-hmm. those breaths. He was the one trying to, to be able to get IV supplies so he could put in an IV. He was like, this is mine, right? So in that respect, right. it was sort of fortunate for me in some ways that that wasn't my area of expertise it was Eric's but it does add that Mm -hmm. whole other level because he was completely powerless but he didn't feel like Mm -hmm. he was powerless he felt like he had Mm -hmm. power over it I remember him saying in no way did I ever think he was going to die because this is what I do I Mm -hmm. you know I intubate people, I put IVs in people, I give them volume when their blood, when they have blood loss, I save people. And so no, in no way did he think Mm -hmm. that he did not have power. But it turns Mm -hmm. out, obviously, he didn't. So,
2: yeah. Well, and, and we don't have power over death. And that's basically what that mom said is we don't have that power over death and life. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. We, we don't. And for me, my story is completely different in infertility and infant loss. But I remember feeling like it just didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. I have no power over it, but I couldn't even make sense of it. That two people who loved each other and had a home and were ready for a child couldn't have that experience at that time. It didn't make sense. And just like for Eric, that didn't make sense mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. When thinking back to the miscarriages too, I know I talked to someone else, Joey, who wrote the book on pregnancy loss and grief after pregnancy loss. And Uh you even feel like your own body failed you in some ways too, like to fail to be able to continue this pregnancy on Uh like it should. Uh So that's, you feel guilt over that, that like, why can't my body do better right? When it's really not your fault right. at all. I mean, no. But again, the guilt. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And that's the part is acknowledging that guilt is a normal emotion and not let others minimize the validity of that experience or just that it's part of a grief experience, like just to blow that off, like, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. Well, I do. I
1: know. I know. I so get that. And I that's mm-hmm. such a huge thing because you have people telling mm-hmm. you, well, you shouldn't feel that way it doesn't matter because I do. And, and right. since I do, how do I deal with that? I guess that's our question here today right. is it's not enough to say you shouldn't feel guilty because it, it it's already there. It's in the room. It's here. Now, how do we work with ourselves to get past that and to get through right. that? Because certainly coming yeah. externally, it's not going to be there, but how can you work on it yourself?
2: Right. We will get there. I think there's a few other things about it that we need to talk about before we talk about helping it. And I think what you just said, experiencing it, even if it's not real, the feeling still needs to be experienced, even if it's not something that we had any control over. Guilt does not have to be rational to be real. (laughs) Yes. And sometimes people do feel, and I actually had this feeling come when you were talking, that it's some kind of punishment for something we've done. You know that's one of the things too when things don't go our way so when you were saying like uh, women feel like their body failed them i i just had this thought again like i felt more like what why am i not chosen to be a mom oh yeah Mm -hmm. you know that it was something in inside that that i had done so that is like a moral guilt And then we have a role guilt, which is where bereaved parents come in. So we also talked about causation. Like, did we do something to cause it? But that role, and you just mentioned your role and Eric's role as physicians, just like if a nurse says, you know, I didn't recognize symptoms in somebody Uh that they love, Uh you know, that was my role. I needed to do that. Or, you know, I was not a good enough father. I was not a good enough mother to to do that. So- Uh that role guilt is definitely a big, yeah, that's
1: real Um, for sure. You just mm -hmm, really feel like that's your job is to take care of your family and take Mm -hmm. care of your
2: kids. And when something happens Um, anyway, it's hard. Yeah. And then survivor guilt. It's interesting. My grandmother was in her early nineties, early nineties. That sounds really young. Her early (laughs) nineties, but she was, you know, very ill and weak and she'd sleep a lot. And sometimes she'd sleep for days and then she'd wake up. And she said to us, when I wake up, do not tell me if someone else in the family died before me, because I should be next. So she didn't want to know if she outlived anybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just amazed me that at her age, she did not want to survive anybody. I mean, that was, she was next, but older Persons do experience this when young. And, and I've had grandparents say that when their own, so they're in the grandparent role, but their own child has had a child that dies. They say, why was it not Mm -hmm. me? Like I've lived a full life. This should have been me instead of our precious grandchild.
1: I remember my dear aunt who I've talked about a lot, who's a regular listener. So hello, aunt Penny. I remember her saying that to me. She came back to be with me when we had the sentencing for the person who killed Andy Uh, and she said I felt that I mean she felt that why did Andy have to go when she felt like she'd lived a long life you know she uh felt like if anyone could go she was fine to go (laughs) but she'd really to see a 14 year old boy go ahead of her was hard Really hard.
2: Yeah. And absolutely. I tell you, I want you
1: to stay around for a long, long time. Yeah, Aunt Penny.
2: but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then there's, we move into like grief and recovery guilt that we feel guilty if we're grieving too long or guilty if we're not grieving appropriately or when we begin to feel better, uh, what kind of parent am I that I'm actually healing? Or we went on a family vacation and We laughed. Had an enjoyable time. Yeah. Yeah. So I shouldn't be smiling
1: ever. And then, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's funny. You feel it both ways because you feel like I should never smile again because that Mm -hmm. would be somehow bad. And you feel guilt over that. And then Mm -hmm. you feel guilt over, well, if I never smile again, well, that would be horrible because that wouldn't be honoring of Andy who loved to laugh and smile and see me happy. So... Right, it's like you get at both sides, like if I'm happy, I feel guilty. Uh-huh. if I'm sad, I feel guilty it's there's seems like there's a no win sometimes,
2: no win, mm-hmm. yeah, and I don't know about you, but I remember feeling that way more out in public, yes, than in private, like with my own family, I felt like it was safe to feel better, mm-hmm. but out in the world, um and I'm thinking more of I went to a private Christian college, and my friend and roommate had died in a car accident. And I remember being on campus and laughing and thinking, what are people going to say? Let me laugh. (laughs) Like I felt really, really guilty for that. I
1: know. I think back to, we had, uh, you know, some couples that we met at starlight and then we did a game night at their house. And it was honestly the first time I felt like I could laugh and have fun and be okay because I knew that they knew that that didn't mean I was totally okay. But if I went out to a game night, a couple's game night with non-bereaved people, then I felt like, well, if I'm too happy, then they're going to think, well, she's over it. She's fine now. And either judge Uh me, how is she fine? Or say, I guess I don't need to worry about her anymore because she's fine. And so both things are bad because I don't want people to not, worry about me anymore in some ways to not mm-hmm. like kind of treat me with kid gloves sometimes because things still are right. hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's really tough. And well and that's so silly, the- but it's what what you yeah. judge yourself. Yeah.
2: Right. You know, I love to educate people on grief. And so you've taken the grief series and we were talking about the dual process model of what they, you know, in grief that we're doing two things at once. And it's that processing two things at the same time. You're processing, you know, looking back, but looking forward, laughing, but hurting those kinds of things, experiencing loss, but living in the now, Uh, you know, where life is falling apart, but yet there's parts that are being restored. Mm -hmm. So how do you live in those two different worlds? It, it, that is part of what grief is all about. And that's a hard space to live.
1: It is a hard space to live because I I don't know that it's very well understood in the general public, that you can really have both of those things going on at the same time. So I think that's what makes it hard is that other people don't see that, that you're living in two worlds
2: at the same time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I had someone share with me recently about being at church and feeling the spirit move. And she was like, you know, praising Jesus, hands up. And then she pulled her hands back down because she thought I I'm grieving. Like if, if they see me praising, so she didn't even know how to praise and, and petition to God to heal her breaking heart. It was like those two things. Mm -hmm. And so it it happens in the world. It happens in, in our faith journey too. Like there are moments that you can see that God is there and present and real. And then other moments you feel completely abandoned and you're cursing him saying, where are you? Yes. Mm -hmm. And those things can even take place on the same day. Absolutely. And a moment she, you know, did that Mm -hmm. jerking her hands down, like, wait a minute, if they think I'm praising when I'm still really upset and hurting and mad at God. Yeah, yeah, she was confused. Well, and I think
1: that, too, because I was one of the vocalists in our praise band at church until Andy died, Mm -hmm. and I've not done that. Now, we've also not had a praise band because of COVID, so we have nothing going Mm -hmm. on, but I recently did think I could probably go back and do that, but I'm so not sure because some moments I can sing praise songs to God, and other times... I still just can't. So I'm not sure I can do that in that public of a way just Mm -hmm. for a couple reasons. One, because again, I end up feeling this, like everyone's judging me that I'm like totally fine when I'm not. But then the second Mm -hmm. one is if I'm having a bad day, I can't do it. I can't, I can't even sing those things. I Mm -hmm. I have a very hard time, Mm -hmm. you know, it, singing it is well with my soul sometimes when it's really not well with my soul so it's really Mm -hmm. it's kind of a mixed
2: problem (laughs) it is it is and you know here's another one that comes with guilt is the guilt and relief that relief are not uncommon in grief or feelings of relief an altruistic view of that is my sufferings over um if if somebody you know was a caregiver or you know that kind of, but the relationship is that their suffering's over. Like in a relationship, when you love someone and and they've been hurting for so long, you say their suffering's over. But then there's the dual part of that, that we're both have some sense of relief that we're not in that bad spot anymore. And relief is something that remains hidden. We don't go around talking about it. Then we feel guilty mm-hmm. that we had some sense of relief. Mm-hmm after maybe, you know, watching someone. So it it is a really tough spot. I talk to bereaved people, you know, obviously all the time. But just in those spaces, those safe spaces to talk about the fact that sometimes they do feel relief that the suffering is over.
1: I remember talking to my friend Michelle, who lost both of her sisters to cancer, and she said, Mm -hmm. you know, she's been a great support to me. And she said one big difference is that when her sisters died, both times her sisters died, at the very end, she was praying for God to take them because their suffering was mm-hmm. so great at that point. And obviously that didn't happen with Andy because it was so sudden. So she was talking about that being a difference. But then I have talked to a lot of moms who were that way, right? You pray at the end, just end their suffering, just take them home. And mm-hmm. then as soon as they are brought home and as soon as they die, they're like, what in the world was I praying for that for? Cause this is so, yeah. so horrible. And so, worse than you right. imagine, And then you feel guilt over the fact that you want, you prayed to end their suffering as if their death was somehow upon you. Again, that feeling of mm-hmm. feeling guilty about it. You didn't have power to have them mm-hmm. taken today as opposed to tomorrow, as opposed to next week. That wasn't mm-hmm. your decision and in, in your power. But then somehow when you were praying for that at the end,
2: then I think you end up taking it on as it somehow was your fault. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And those are hard things to talk about. And that's what I love, I think, about this podcast so much is it normalizes those things for moms and dads Mm -hmm. as they listen to this to realize that they're not alone in that. And I think that is one of the key parts of guilt is to talk it out. Mm -hmm. That you almost have to mirror it and someone has to reflect it back to you yes. now you know yeah. but at that moment what you wanted is for them not to have to struggle for every breath yes <laughs> i mean so our intention at that time what that was is wanting them to not suffer anymore right and it was good um, and it was so- good
1: and and right mm-hmm. to have those thoughts and that doesn't change again i I think you're 100% right in just talking it through the guilt. So instead, if you're someone who is supporting a grieving person Uh and they are expressing all these feelings of guilt, you're 100% right, Gwen. Instead of saying you shouldn't feel that way, just talk Mm -hmm. about their feelings and them feeling that way. Because if you talk through it, you might be able to get back to the, them coming to the conclusion that I guess that isn't reasonable for me. You know, I think about that mm-hmm. in just in my own therapy. I have certainly had a lot of issues with guilt. You know, I should have left, mm-hmm. had we left 10 minutes sooner or 10 minutes later, had I done this, had I done that, had I noticed the car, had I, like all of these things you think if I would have just done this just a little bit differently, this wouldn't have happened. Or guilt Mm -hmm. over just, was I a good enough mom for him? Was I supportive enough? Did I, you know, all of those types of things. Yeah, it goes deep. It goes really, Mm -hmm. really deep and on so many levels. But I think just talking about them, for me with a therapist, I think with a therapist, with a friend, with someone else, talking Mm -hmm. through that can help you maybe get to that point where you realize really that powerlessness.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, if you have, if someone's concerned about a high level of guilt, like it is really present, then I do think a therapist would be Mm -hmm. the best route to, to talk that through. And then the lower levels of that normal processing, all of that, you know, just talking it out with a friend and having that mirrored back can really be beneficial and helpful. But the other part, when we talked about it going deep is I just want to give a little difference between guilt and shame. Okay. Guilt says I made a mistake and shame says I am the mistake.
1: Oh yeah.
2: And so shame is often hidden and shame is when we feel rejected in the relationship. So maybe a mom had not been a good mom. Mm Mm-hmm. And maybe made a lot of mistakes in their parents. I mean, we all make mistakes, sure, sure, so you know, sure, um, sure. to varying degrees. So, but that shame of "I am the mistake," like "I am the reason," and that takes a level of therapy and counseling to process that. So, shame goes deeper. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of want to, because there's probably someone feeling very shameful right now and feeling that they are the mistake, mm-hmm. not that they made a mistake.
1: Yeah. A lot of the people that reached out about guilt were feeling guilt about a child who had died by suicide, by overdose. Those are the some of the ones that really reached out to me and I heard mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right in that that's where that can cross over a little bit and they can mm-hmm. start to change over to not just I'm feeling guilty But I'm feeling shame like somehow I should have been better to have made this not happen. So I think Mm -hmm. you're right. In those instances, getting Mm -hmm. even more help for that guilt is going to be really key. Because there is no reason to feel shame over that at all. But you have to get there yourself. You can't just have someone tell you. Mm -hmm. You can't.
2: Right. And then that, that educating again, and that's what part of, you know, talking to someone who is maybe a professional or has that, but that educating ourselves, I said professional, but I also think reading other and listening to other people's Mm -hmm. stories Mm -hmm. is a part of learning and educating ourselves is that in suicide and on drug overdoses and things like that, that they don't always give us a warning, right? They're so subtle. And there is just, you know, that, You didn't miss anything. Like there wasn't a lot to miss. uh, You know, where it's like finding a needle in the haystack. They don't want you to know how dark it is, and they present their best foot forward. And so, in a lot of the studies on suicidology, is just for the survivors to realize that there weren't a lot of signs. Right. That's Mm -hmm. a hundred percent
1: true. And I think that Mm -hmm. people put on themselves like I you know, I should have, and I talk about this all the time about you saying, don't should yourself, but there is a lot right. of that, a lot of shooting yourself <laughs> when you have right. death in that way. And the overdose deaths too. I mean, a lot of those, I see those people, mm-hmm. they, they do, you do not know, you do not know how, what ends up happening behind closed doors because they can right. put on such a different face to the public and to their family and to
2: everybody you just have
1: absolutely
2: no idea Mm -hmm. right well and that kind of leads me though to come back to something with because we're talking to bereaved parents is that we know that it is higher to have that level of of guilt as bereaved parents than any other relationship bereaved moms it's actually higher than in fathers to have self-blame guilt and shame Mm -hmm.
1: I feel like you should say that out loud like Mm -hmm. three times to really emphasize the fact that this is so normal all moms really end up feeling this way like you're much more likely to feel the guilt than to not it's
2: Right. They also know that studies show that um, guilt decreases for parents who have brought their child home in palliative care and it increases for those when their children are hospitalized. Mm -hmm. Isn't that an interesting interesting. um, statistic? But we do know that it does dissipate over time and it decreases over time. So for those who are newly bereaved and listening, it is and and you can probably relate to this too, um, Marcy, in the fact that it's so much different early on. It's it's so heavy early on, but what we see in guilt, that especially unreal guilt, you know, that we mm-hmm. haven't done anything, that it dissipates over time, and that it does less. Yeah. And if you're not seeing that lesson, that's when we need to break out. But I want to go back to that when you mentioned a couple times that people say, just don't think about that. You know, there's some, it's called a thought stopping. It's a technique and there's some controversy about it. But really, if you can, when you have the negative thought stopping that thought and replacing it. But in the example of guilt that I have written down here, it says, if you feel guilty that you were not there at the moment of your person's death, when that thought comes up, be prepared with the thought of how many times you were there for them. So it is that, wait a minute, at that moment, something bad happened. So you said, you know, why didn't I see the car? Why didn't I, you know, all these different things, but how many times did you protect them and notice things and save them from falling? And how many times were you there? It's so many, right? But we, we hone in on that one. So that's why they talk about that thought stopping with this technique to stop that thought rather than beating yourself up constantly for that. Mm-hmm.
1: But again, I think that's you doing it for yourself, not just somebody else yeah. saying don't think that. I guess if you would be that person, you could come back with, well, let's talk about all the times you were there. Let's talk about all the things that you did right. do. If, yes. But instead of saying, don't think that, you you right. inviting them to think of other periods of time when they were there and what they did do.
2: Yes. Because they call that the white bear effect. If someone says, do not think of a white bear. Yeah,
1: all you're thinking about is the white bear. All you can
2: think about is the white bear. <laughs> right. So, Yeah. When you try to repress something and push it back, it just keeps coming back and back. So you have to feel it to heal it and you have to name it to tame it. So, you know, those are the things that you have to feel it
1: mm-hmm.
2: and say, I feel this. And and so here's some techniques. So we haven't gotten to that. I think the first part is forgiving yourself. And that forgiveness. And so that's why in some of the handouts that I use in the work that I do, you know, there's some actual techniques or letters to fill in that says, I apologize for, I wish I had, please forgive me for, you know, I love you because, and, and you write those things. And so you allow that forgiveness to take place.
1: I love the way you then said, though, I love you because... And not just apologizing and all of that. Because I remember just a couple of weeks ago, I had Asha's mom on. Who, if you have not listened to Asha's mom's episode, I have to give a push for that. Because she is simply amazing. So everyone listen to Asha's mom. But she said for a long, long time, all she could say to her daughter after she died was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. So I love how you (laughs) said... That you can do some different prompts for yourself. I love you because yeah. because I started thinking about little Asha and how her mom would say, "I love you because of your amazing laugh." I love you because of mm-hmm. and to put some of those thoughts in and not just. I'm sorry I didn't see this. I'm sorry. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So back to this, the the article that I started with about the the woman whose nine year old daughter died, and. The part of her story that I didn't share was that her daughter was at a camp for um, handicapped children and she had stopped by the camp because her daughter was starting to get a little bit of a cold and she didn't take her home. The camp said, it's normal. We can cover Mm -hmm. it. And then she died of the seizure. So she talks about forgiveness later on the article. She said, forgiveness is a conscious decision to stop hating both ourselves and others. When we choose forgiveness, we consciously recognize that we cannot change others but we can change ourselves gradually over time and often with difficult emotional work. Mm -hmm. And it is possible. And forgiveness is not so much about what was done or what someone else did to us, but in our own heart, because harboring anger and resentment and not forgiving either yourself or others, someone has described as like drinking poison every day and expecting the other person to die. (laughs)
1: That's a really good one. (laughs) I like that. That is very good. Yeah,
2: forgiving yourself and forgiveness is a whole category in itself. We Mm -hmm. could talk about that for hours, but um, and it doesn't mean we forget, you know, and having a new attitude and releasing some of those things. But it means we find a way to move forward. Mm -hmm. You know that we we put that. Another thing is figure out what we've learned because guilt does teach us something. Mm -hmm. I remember in my childhood, learning that words mattered. And a girl in fifth grade was hit by a car. And anyway, someone had used the words a couple of days before, like, well, I was so embarrassed I could just die or, you know, those kinds of things. And, and realizing that, no, this is real, that this happens. But, you know, guilt teaches us something like sometimes we do say things or we, you know, think, ah, and, and if you've ever done that, you go, I'm not going to do that again. Like, maybe you didn't acknowledge someone's birthday. I mean, I'm just a simple thing. And you go, yeah. But then you find out that, you know, they noticed that, hey, I didn't hear from you on my birthday. And you go, I'm not going to do that again. It doesn't feel good. You know, it's, I mean, it's
1: a simple example. But- I think about just in this pandemic and how much when you people were all quarantining and staying indoors and their kids weren't Uh able to go to school on Facebook so many people complaining about their kids my kids are driving me crazy I can't stand being around my kids I mean just on and on and on about all of that this joke about being around my kids all the time is driving me to drink or all of this kind of stuff that was meant to be so funny but ends up hurting because all I wish is that I was stuck in a house for weeks with Andy, with all my kids. I mean, I would have right. loved that. And right. so that's, that can be uh, such a painful thing too. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So we do learn that, um, you know, our guilt does teach us. Yeah. Something. Yep. And, I won't be saying that ever again. Time. I can tell you that. Right. Or or we do complain about things. And, and I remember vowing that if I ever did get pregnant, I would never complain about being pregnant because mm-hmm. I want and And I really, I probably should have been a surrogate. I was the happiest. I mean, you know, fat, swollen feet, um, back aches. I don't care. I'll take it all day long because I longed for that and prayed for that. And then um, we went to the hospital um, to be induced and they tried and tried and they sent us home. And cause yeah. it wasn't time <laughs> to have this child. And I remember being stepping into the elevator and feeling so sad that we were going home without a baby. And then I remembered my child is still alive. Like we are not without them. It's just not, you know. So pain does teach us stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, no matter how simple uh, emotions or silly emotions, it it does teach us something. Mm -hmm. The other piece of this is I want to just talk about what our loved one would tell us, Mm -hmm. you know, what would they say to you? If, you know, it's the technique of using therapeutic metaphors. If you were on the jury Mm -hmm. and someone presented this problem and you had to decide how guilty they were. Yeah. What would you say to them? And the same thing. So what would your person say to you? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and I'm so glad you said that, though. You said, what would your person say to you? And not, Mm -hmm. because this is one that drives me crazy, is that when I'm sad and really missing him and having a bad day, I hate when people say to me, is this how Andy would want you to be? Because now I'm... Feeling sad and I'm feeling guilty because I know Andy wouldn't want me to be happy. So now I've got guilt and sadness, and it didn't all do anything to make me feel happy. So I was a little nervous Mm -hmm. when you said what would your person say because I thought, oh, please don't go there, Gwen, because that does not help me, because that makes my guilt go up. But that's not what you said. You said what would your person Mm. like ask you? And and then, yeah. then it's different because then now it's asking me to have a conversation with Andy about it, which is
2: different yes.
1: than feeling like judged because that is a, all really a form of judgment, I think, from others when they say, mm-hmm. would Andy want you to be acting like this? Would Andy want you to feel like this? Right. Wouldn't Andy want you to be happy? Yeah. Of course Andy wants me to be happy. And now you just made me feel guilty right. and angry at you, right? Because right. now I'm just mad at yeah. you for even saying such a thing, because I already knew that. And there's none of so
2: that. Oh, let's add that. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh.
2: yeah. <laughs> Can you see, hear her emotion, people? I know. Yes, I know. This,
1: is, this is me getting it, emotional. I, that's her. one. That's a right. pet peeve of mine. A big, big one. Yeah. So.
2: But what I'm talking about is actually even taking the time to get yourself in a space. Yeah in a safe space where you can truly think about him and imagine you're telling them how you're feeling, your regrets, your guilt, all of it. Right.
1: Uh And then you have that space. And then to be in conversation, really, to almost think about what they would say back to you. Mm -hmm.
2: Exactly. Then that imagining that they are saying, Hey, you know, mom, you did good. You were a great mom. You did good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: that's different because yeah. now I hear that and now I'm getting teary-eyed thinking about h- how many times Andy would say, mm-hmm. I love you, mom. You're the best mom ever yeah. because he would say, mm-hmm. I'm the best mom ever. So that puts me in an entirely different space than when someone says, right. what would Andy, how would Andy, what want, would Andy? how would Annie want you to feel yeah. like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So what you're doing is you're allowing the love to heal you instead of the guilt, the shame and the judgment. Right. Because that is what mm-hmm. he would say to me
1: time and time again, right? Mm-hmm. He would tell me mm-hmm. how much he loved me. And yeah, I would, exactly. now I'm thinking about the love between us. And I'm not thinking about mm-hmm. feeling judged and feeling guilty over the fact that I'm not happy enough for him, right? Like I should be happier mm-hmm. for him. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And you just shit on yourself there. I did. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> You know, and then there is the fact of, you know, what does our faith say to us? Mm -hmm. So asking those questions and processing that through our faith and whatever that journey is for people, we do filter a lot of those things through that. So that's part of the healing technique about this too, is, and and our faith isn't feelings. It's like, it's basing ourselves on this is what I know, Yeah, you know, that I'm not perfect and I'm never going to be, you know perfect <laughs> and forgiving ourselves in that. And it's, you know, in the, and the concept of grace and mercy and
1: right. And mm-hmm. your, your faith, your spirituality is unique to you. And it's not, you can't just either say again, some of those should, 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 should you should feel this way uh-huh. even based on your faith, because that is very unique and personal to you as well.
2: So yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, some of the other things is that people just talk about rituals that people can have to kind of process guilt. Mm -hmm. And so you can actually make it therapeutic, um, where you private or public. Um, and, and I think most people, when it comes to guilt or those kinds of things probably choose more private. I don't know. So it's not necessarily bad to have, um, to, have some type of ritual or where you write the story down or you, you know, I talk about this in the grief class where you could take a letter and you bury it or you burn it or you light a candle and you have a picture and you have those conversations, but you're doing a ritual because sometimes when words aren't adequate, we have ceremony. We just need to have some kind of ceremony and put our guilt to rest, right? I'm going to do this. I'm going to allow myself to process this, feel it, name it, do all of that, but then to let it go and release that. But to also be
1: okay with yourself when you release it, and then a little bit later, you end up picking it back up again. Oh (laughs) Because that's going to happen. It is. I remember thinking about that with anger a lot for me. Like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. The anger is poison. Uh It is poison to me. I'm letting go of the anger. And then I just pick it back up again bit by bit. And I had to let it go again. So I think the same thing can Uh be with guilt. Like you may have to let go of the guilt 25 or 30 times before you really let go of the guilt. And that is okay. Because I think every time you do you probably leave a little bit of it left. Like you try to take it, you maybe end up taking it back, but maybe you don't take all of it back. Maybe now you take right. back 90% it of it and you the 10% mm-hmm. is gone forever. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And, and now next time you're gonna yeah. let it go, let it go again. And just know every time I do this, I'm getting a little bit closer to fully releasing it. And it is okay mm-hmm. if I can't fully release it the first time or the fifth time or the 10th time, because it will take more than that. Mm -hmm.
2: Because that's what I always say about grief. It's not an event. It is a process. Mm -hmm. And everything that's a process has many steps to it and takes time. And like you said, over and over and over again, but we wish it were an event. We wish it were one and done. I know. But it's not. I
1: know. Mm -hmm. I remember reading a book. Yeah. That it really talked about like grief is a season and then you're done with the season. And like, I just had a hard time with that because maybe so, but Uh in so much of my mind, I feel like it is, it seems like a never ending season. And there are times when it's worse and times when it's better, but uh, to get it totally true,
2: it's hard. And so, and I don't know what that person was referring to Mm -hmm. or what that example was, but I do know that. Sometimes the writer or the professional, what they're really saying is, you don't have to actively grieve forever, right. but you're always going to have grief. So bereaved people hear it differently, mm-hmm, for sure. So I have said the same thing when I talk to people when they're ready to begin healing: is that it's not that. It's going that's to the be the grief gone is over. That's, mm-hmm. that's right.
1: Because it, in that, some ways, it's, it feels like a betrayal if you say the grief is over. I mean, for me, it ends up feeling yeah, that way. It's
2: never going to be. No. Yeah, it's not going to be because the love's never going away. Mm-hmm. The love's not over. So, therefore, the grief isn't over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and And I think that's another thing is that how do I want to say the thanking that the reaffirming that's the word I'm looking for is that part of this process is reaffirming the relationship and you can write love letters and the thank yous and, and focus on those things. And that those are the continuing bonds that we always have with people. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So those things are, are beautiful too. And
1: reaffirming really does feel like an opposite to guilt, like a really good way to combat Mm -hmm. the guilt is through Uh reaffirmation. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Yep. And so that's a good place for us to end. I think just to recap is that we always have to look at what our intentions were and talk through our guilt and realize that it doesn't, it should be dissipating over time. And if it's a higher level and intensifying, then you may want to talk to someone about it. Well, I wrote
1: down two sentences that I really wanted to remember okay. when you were talking. Okay. The first one was guilt doesn't have to be rational to be real. I think that mm-hmm. is huge and one that I'm going to remember forever. <laughs> and the second one was you have to feel it to heal it. And both mm-hmm. of those are just amazing takeaways, really, I think, yeah, for me to always remember and to feel kind of better about having the guilt and feeling the guilt. Like it's okay. It is okay to feel it. Because if I don't feel it, I'm not going to get past it. I'm not going to be able to heal it if I don't feel it first. Right. And it's okay that it's completely not valid. I'm feeling it anyway. It's fine. (laughs)
2: exactly yeah and it doesn't have to be rational to be real. no
1: it doesn't it doesn't mm-hmm. yes yep
2: that's what i have built my whole career on or my whole mantra i think of helping bury people is you know the only feelings that don't heal are the ones that we hide so you have to feel it and turn into it and that that's where it takes bravery and courage and grieving's not for the faint of heart that's for sure no. it it's a lot of work So for those who are bravely looking today at some of these deep feelings, I'm with you. You're my hero. I mean, it's hard.
1: So Gwen, why don't you tell the audience again about how they can kind of personally get more help from you? Because I would like to have you do that too, because your resources are amazing. I just took Gwen's class and she's going to tell you how you can do that
2: really virtually. Mm Yes. And you took it virtually, um, but I do have it recorded online. So you go to grief-guide.com and just hit the begin my journey now. And it's five videos and they come with handouts, discussion questions. You can do it in a group. You can do it by yourself. So that's that educational piece I keep talking about is educating yourself and it's conversation. Would you say the class was I try to be conversational mm-hmm. and, and make it relatable, not just a lecture, if that makes any sense. And
1: what I love about listening to you talk is your use of story, because I feel like that's mm-hmm. so much more relatable than you just talking about, you know, this study and this study and this study and these, these right. are things that that kind of happen. But when you do it in more of a story kind of format and talk about different people's experiences... I I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously I like that. That's what I do, right? I like to share people's stories because I feel like we can learn from other people's stories, but you do that in smaller snippets and getting little bits from different
2: people. So I I think that's really valuable. It's funny because I went to a business consultant before I started this whole thing. You know, here's my idea. And I worked with her for many weeks. And some of the questions they ask are, well, know what you want to do and know what you don't want to do and and come up with and all i kept coming to is i don't want to talk research i mean i don't want to talk when i mentioned today the dual process model i mean i just kind of did it how we're living in different worlds but i have sat and listened to people try to help someone go into great detail about the dual process model and i think that's not helpful no, to very people it's really to not. do all the studies and so i kept coming back to i want to have real talk about grief mm-hmm. I want to talk real where they can relate to it. And so therefore I do feel like there is a market for what I do because it is uniquely, it's for sure. It's a storytelling. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they can do that. And the other thing online is once they watch those videos, then they can do three checkpoints with me where we talk about the wound, the work and the wonder. So what happened to them, the work that they're maybe doing or stuck on or having difficulty processing and then the wonder of what's next for me and, and, just like how you've helped people Mm -hmm. in all of your pains, So it's been exciting. And then the other part of my business that is really growing and and I love is the helping educate, Mm -hmm. talking to churches, teams at churches, training care ministry groups, victims, advocates, professional groups, just how to do this better because we need to do this well. And we don't. Yeah.
1: So, so if yeah. anyone really wants to do this video series and you feel like wow financially it seems like it's a stretch for you i did purchase some uh coupon codes for some videos so i've got a few more of those left so certainly reach out to me email me at marcy andy'smom.com and i can get people a coupon code because i don't want finances to limit people's ability right. to be able to hear this and because it's such a great message mm-hmm.
2: and I'm so glad that you said that because if someone's saying you know there my church needs this so if they buy them in bulk like you did to mm-hmm. gift them to people a church can buy them and then give them instead of flowers as gifts and I, I've sold a lot that way at a, a much reduced cost and it, just to get it out there people need well
1: this. and for me i felt like it was important enough you know we're a non organization and that is what i spent some mm-hmm. of our money on last year is to just mm-hmm. get this because i feel like it can be so helpful to people uh to be able yeah. to learn mm-hmm.
2: and now you know you helped me launch the business on on air and talked about that back in september and now i'm actually getting feedback of people who taken it. So one particular woman, she was gifted it from a friend of mine, her son had died. And she said, I want to give this to my friend. And so I talked to the friend and she said, well, uh, I said, Are you finding it helpful? She said, I just keep listening to the first episode over and over and over just to calm myself. And she said, I haven't gotten to the rest. And I'm like, that's fine. (laughs) It's however it works. But I just thought that was so yeah. But I just thought, wow, I guess I knew it'd be informative, and I knew it'd be helpful, and I know there's meat to it, but I didn't know it would repeatedly soothe someone.
1: It's funny because I took your class just recently with Eric, and you would say things in the class and be like, Has she talked about this on your show? Has she talked about this in your show? And some of it you certainly (laughs) have. Like, yeah, or no. Why? She needs to talk about you this about your show. Like, she can't talk about everything on my show. It's so funny because you go through this video series and then you will go through a point like when we talked about guilt, you talked about guilt, but we can then expand and talk about guilt for an hour. So it's, it's it's lovely to be able to kind of do both, I think, because you give that great video series for a a whole overview. And then you can Mm -hmm. come on here and do things a little more in depth on just one area deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. And that's why every time you and I talk, We have ideas for the next episode. I know. I
1: know. All right. Mm -hmm.
2: So thank you so much, much.
1: Gwen. It's just been such a blessing. I love having you as a part of uh, Always Andy's Mom. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at Be sure to visit the webpage andysmom.com for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.